Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. Experience has taught me a lot about um, hard work and how to um, value uh, the opportunities that you get put in front of you um, and taking advantage of of those because not everyone gets those opportunities. Um, And so, yeah, I think I, I wouldn't be the person I am without those experiences. Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, and it is great to be back with you here as always. Well, those were the very personal and reflective words of Rachel Yang, who is Investment Manager at Giant Leap Fund at Impact Investment Group. You might remember the name Impact Investment Group. We've had Dan Madhaven on, a previous podcast stalwart who's done two episodes with us, and Amanda Goodman previously also. So you may already know a bit about Impact Investment Group, but Rachel and I over the years have become um, very good buddies, and she has really um, got a lot of interesting things to say about purpose-driven business, um, ethical investment, how to really invest in a way that creates uh, positive social impact, and she's very much at the intersection of a lot of the emerging ways that business Um, can fund the social change. So enjoy the episode today. A quick thank you to our wonderful Patreon supporters who make it possible for us to put on the show each and every week. McCartan, uh, Stuart M, Joel F, uh, new Patreon Bonnie B and Misha D times too. Your support is invaluable and we really appreciate it. And uh, our Patreon supporters do receive 20% bonus content each week. So you'll see that there is part of this uh, conversation with Rachel that is just for our Patreon community. And that's actually one of my favorite parts of the podcast where we go quite deep personal and we get to the bottom of uh, what makes Rachel such a superstar high performer. So if you do want to be involved in that and we'd love to have you, please just go down to the show notes and click on the link there. Otherwise, it's patreon.com slash humans of purpose. Rachel, cracking to have you here finally for the podcast. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. It's great to be a part of it. Do you think you've got enough beverages uh, ready for you to <laughs> proceed with this podcast? I do love a beverage. I've got the tea, the whiskey, and the water. I feel like that's a great combo. I feel like I first knocked you off your socks with the matcha tea <laughs> offer, and then the whiskey just sort of like next level the whole project. Yeah, I, I literally can't say no <laughs> to those things. They're so delicious, So, um, and they have really lived up to my expectations. So you're trying the Starwood, which is uh, a personal favourite, Melbourne Distillery, um, hashtag Melbourne Pride. I don't know, <laughs> Melbourne Love, whiskey is awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All of those, full support. Amazing to have you here. So I want to give you just the opportunity to bring our guests and myself in on your journey, um, tell your story a little bit and sort of how you end up here today in your current role at Impact Investing Group. Yeah, sure. Um, So I guess I'll start with the career um, pathway and, you know, I'll jump back to to childhood a little little bit later. Um, But in terms of career, I kind of always thought I'd be in business of some sort. Uh, I studied commerce and arts, um, languages actually, they haven't been entirely useful um, to date. (laughs) Uh, I studied Italian and and, uh, Chinese and and I'm terrible at both. Um, So that's not ideal. Uh, But after finishing uni, I kind of started in accounting, did a small stint in audit um, and then went into um, management consulting really because I realised accounting wasn't quite for me, Um, predominantly uh, focused on government advisory services. 
Uh, and the reason for that was I, I was really passionate about trying to solve kind of social issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the reasons for that was I um, was, I grew up with not much money. We didn't, we basically, uh, my dad kind of went bankrupt when I was very young. And then uh, I got a scholarship to a private school. So I was incredibly lucky to get an amazing education but have that kind of background where there was a, um, yeah, challenges um, growing up. Uh, So I felt like I had to do a lot more with the education that I had than just something straightforward. So that's why I have went to focus on government advisory because I thought maybe if I could help more people in from a structural perspective um, in government, uh, in a government-type role, then that would um, help in solving some of the issues that I was hoping that I could solve during my career. Um, but what I found was uh, I was writing a lot of reports and then not that much was happening afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know that you um, you know that problem well. Oh, that was a totally empathetic but shared experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Both been there. Yeah. Um, and the tipping point was when I went to northeast Arnhem Land. Um, I had thought to myself, I can't be writing policy or or analysing policy on Indigenous affairs if I hadn't spent any time in Indigenous communities. So I went to northeast Arnhem Land as part of the Jarwin Indigenous Partnerships Program, which basically links um, Indigenous organisations with corporate. So I was lucky enough to go on a um, pro bono kind of project um, up to North East Arnhem Land uh, and stayed there for six weeks to help out with an organisation called Gumach. Um, they set up small-scale enterprises to support the local Yolngu people in training and employment. And uh, I basically helped them with a, a strategy to remediate their waste facilities. So at the time, Rio Tinto had closed the doors to their alumina refinery uh, and so there about the population went from about four thousand down to roughly two two and a half thousand mm-hmm. people, and the waste facility had just an inordinate amount of waste that was put there you know, cars, fridges, batteries, everything you can think of and so um they were at risk of losing their uh right to operate that mm. facility. And from council, so I helped with a strategy to remediate the facility. And the difference was after preparing the the strategy, writing the report, feeling like I was, you know, doing a great job. gave gave the report to the CEO, and he said, uh, "So now you have to implement it." <laughs> and uh, yeah, I wasn't quite used to that being a consultant that just kind of writes reports and hmm. sits behind the desks and types away. Um, so then did that, um, had an amazing experience and at the time uh, a 12-year-old girl had died from septicemia while I was there and so I had this crazy experience of feeling like I could do more um, by you know, getting my hands dirty but also seeing things that I hadn't seen before and the complexities of, of the challenges in Indigenous communities um, because there were there was money there. Mm. Um, it was just a whole other um, level of complexity that I think was difficult to re- reflect in policy. So when I got back from, from there, um, the culture shock 
was quite immense. I thought, you know, maybe there would be culture shock going to Arnhem Land, but actually there was culture shock coming back. You know, nothing really felt that meaningful or important anymore. Um, and I felt like just, you know, that I wanted to do more. Um, so then I moved into to infrastructure because I thought if you could help build things and see the buildings be built, um, you know, schools, hospitals, etc., that it would mean more. But then I guess politics still plays a part mm. um, even in, in those areas as well. So I kind of went looking for something else, um, which is how I found the Impact Investment Group. Uh, I thought about, you know, how can the, the private sector do more uh, to solve some of these effectively public sector type issues, social and environmental issues. Um, and, you know, I thought the best way to do that would be uh, with an innovation and agility, which is what drew me to the venture capital division. Um, and, you know, I'd started a not-for-profit as well and, and knowing what you can do with the agility of, of being able to start a not-for-profit or a business yourself with no rules, I thought that's, that's where the magic's got to happen. So um, that's what took me to the Giant Leap Fund um, at Impact Investment Group. Well, you've woven that together superbly. There's <laughs> so many things I want to jump into. I was sort of itching like, when do I jump? When do I get, when, when's my turn? Sorry, I was just when's rambling. <laughs> it was the right time to do so. Um, first of all, the you know it fascinates me always when we talk about policy, the, the difference between design and implementation and how when you're – maybe at the start of your career, you just imagine that you just paint this perfect, you know, policy plan and it'll be, you know, 10 pages and it'll just someone else will just do exactly what you've written up. But then, you know, the devil is in the implementation. Mm. And so to have the opportunity to implement something that you've planned must have been really sort of, you know, formative for you. Yeah, it was formative and really eye-opening. So I had to pull on uh, the steel cap boots um, and the high vis um, outfit <laughs> to go to the to the local tip. How'd you look? Did you pull um, it off? <laughs> uh, I'd like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was yeah. I, I've got really big feet, so it was. <laughs> I felt like I was going to fall over half the time, <laughs> and I had to drive a, four, a manual four wheel drive, and driving's not my my forte. So <laughs> man. You got way down in the weeds. I love this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just being on the uh, – well, being at the tip, um, it made me really think again about waste um, and what we do with our rubbish. Um, so – and then things like just a stack of tyres, um, which is a huge fire hazard as well, and not knowing how to get rid of them. You know, there's a stack of cars, um, fridges, which you have to degas, which I didn't know before, you know, working there, batteries and how toxic the waste can be. Um, and knowing that all of that stuff just goes to landfill or, uh, you know, we try to recycle it, but people will just throw rubbish in, not knowing how harmful batteries are. You know, I, I remember when I was younger, I didn't know, so I just throw batteries in the bin. Yep. Um, and then I learned how bad they were, and then realised, oh, there's a special battery place that you put this. The same with chewing gum. You know, people tell you stories of like, um, it's going to take two thousand years for this to biodegrade or whatever, and if you swallow it, you know, it'll be in your tummy for seven years. Every, everything, <laughs> everything's scary with chewing gum and batteries. I feel <laughs> everything's scary. It's so scary. There's no safe places. Toxic, no safe places. <laughs> And just generally waste and once you – I mean, you could be crippled by not wanting to 
do anything. Um, but you couldn't unsee, like, once you got close to the source of it all when you were Dee Starnham Land, I imagine it would be hard to unsee or unfeel that sense of um, connection um, and purpose to what you were doing. Yeah, that's that's definitely right. I um, uh, I was a different person um, when I came back because I realised that I really wanted to do more um, and and have my work mean something to me in in the sense of um, I guess tangible and intangible. That emotional connection to my work felt really important. Um, after I came back and I didn't realise it was missing. So, because, you know, I think there are people out there who are perfectly happy to do work that is not emotionally involved Mm. and they can just be who they are for the rest of the time. Mm. But I feel like maybe you and I are both not those people. Like, you know, we put put who we are is our work and uh, when when you don't do work that's aligned, you know, you're kind of not being full you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think because I'm I'm quite – um, the emotional being and, you know, quite sensitive that, um, you know, I cry when someone like proposes on Oprah or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's that I feel like that I need that as part of my work yeah. as well. But there's the premium of that now. Like when you look at, you just have to look at the small giants group, which sort of has, um, do you want to explain a little bit about the White House and small giants and how IOG fits into that? Yeah, and then I'll continue sure. my point. Yeah. So small giants is the family office of Danny Almogor and Barry Lieberman. Uh, and they own the impact investment group along with a number of other businesses. They have Dumbo Feather magazine, which is a wonderful publication. that's very much about storytelling and celebrating the amazing, humans that we are you know on this planet with um and they're themed um editions and they're really uh wonderful so i highly recommend the the magazine and then there's the school of life uh as well which they brought over from the uk which is basically you know no one really tells you how to live life um and how to kind of manage the day-to-day both from an emotional and resilience type perspective um, so that's another one of the, the great businesses that they have. And they're, they're about empathy in the new economy is how they describe it. And it's about retaining that human connection and community um, in this world where everything's digital. Um, we can very easily lose human connection. Um, and they're very much about the importance of, of that human connection and retaining that Um and then the new economy being, you know, how do we ensure that our world today um, is sustainable and can be here in the future? And how do we value things that the traditional economy doesn't necessarily value? It's not just about money. We should think about how we value the intangible things mm. in our planet and um, create a, an economy that's that's different to the the standard money-making philosophy. That's almost perfectly summed up. I was going to say, if you could sort of encapsulate it, it's very much about that new economy and valuing the intangibles and bringing things like um, social and human capital and the economy, uh, sorry, not the economy, um, the environment back to the forefront Mm. um, of our thinking and how we make decisions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it dovetails back into my point because I was sort of thinking that, you know, 
I'm sure like I've met a lot of people who work at this, within small giants in those groups and mm. they are very much like you in so many <laughs> ways, like, you know, emotionally connected to the work, um, mm. purpose-driven, purposeful um, and really keen on, you know, making that mission to um, engage with the new economy and make humans at the centre of that um, and, and social and environment the centre of that, a core part of the mission. Mm, yeah. And I think that, you know, I, I'm very lucky to work with wonderful people and we're all very um, – connected through through purpose and often the challenge that comes along with that is uh, where do you draw the line? You know, uh, there's a lot of energy that goes into the work that we do because we love it so much um, and then there's got to be, you know, that whole notion of how do you balance your personal life and work life when it kind of starts becoming intertwined um, and you live, you know, every moment thinking about um, what you're doing and, and once you're driven by that purpose, there is that kind of um, you bring your whole self to work but also sometimes that can be really challenging. Well, that's I feel as though that is how it's an interesting one. I think I feel that the new economy requires people to be working all the time mm. and we have all these sort of cliched or, uh, you know, kind of discussions about um, having work time and switching off time but mm. really – that's just all talk. What, what organisations really want is you to have such a strong connection that you always want to be working. Mm. And I think with certain types of people, like maybe yourself and, from, and myself to some degree, it's, it's sort of like you want to do as much work as you can because you're in the mission and, yeah. and that's why it's a good fit. But then as you say, how do you – you know, how do you disintermediate that and how do you kind of shut that off and how do you have the time where it's like um, I don't need to be checking email, um, I'm just going to read a book for me. It yeah. doesn't have anything to do with work Yeah. or I'm going to go to gym now and just enjoy, you know, being me or socialise. So I put that back on you, you know, how do you kind of manage that? Yeah, it's a good question and I, um, I have a couple of different strategies. Uh, one of them is around uh, – exercise so just trying to exercise um i try to every day um and someone's you know uh, would yeah there are people that would remind me that try is 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 <laughs> do not try <laughs> there is only do or do not do yeah, yeah. yeah that's exactly right <laughs> perfect good accent yep perfect <laughs> um uh but most days I'll go for a run because I feel like it clears my head and I'm a much better person when I go for a run. Uh, the other thing is holidays I'll switch off entirely so won't check emails and it takes a lot of self-control. There's this weird addiction that comes with email and, you know, your phone and notifications. Like notifications. The red dot. Exactly. <laughs> totally addictive. Um, so trying to, to have the self-control to not. Um, give in to those notifications and the checking. Uh, trying to read at least a page uh, of my book um, before I go to bed and before I sleep. Uh, no phones in the bedroom. There's a couple of things like that that I do. We also try to incorporate into work um, some time to think and be present. So before our meetings on a Monday, we do generally – three minutes of meditation as a whole organisation. So we meet every Monday um, to, to kind of catch up as an organisation, see what each of the divisions are doing, um, but we start that with three minutes of meditation. Um, and there's studies to show that you're more effective and you can get time back through being more present if you meditate at the start. So 
those are come some of the, the the strategies that that I and our organization use but I also try to think about energy dollars so um, one of the things that I uh, was told um, by psychologists actually a, a, you know a, a, quite a long time ago was the notion of the energy dollars that you have um, and say you've got $100 um, every dollar that you spend you need to think about um, and if you're feeling like you're, say, having an argument with someone or um, putting a lot of energy towards something that's not valuable, that's not giving you anything back, you're effectively putting money in the bin. Mm. So if, if someone, if I get like one of these chain emails to the whole office that says um, whose lunchbox is, is in the fridge from last week, I'm going to throw it out if it's not in by Friday. <laughs> you know it's yours, but you're just <laughs> not really sure whether to reply or not. That could be a dollar that I, I, I just can't spend on that, you know? <laughs> exactly. I want to is... help you out, admin, but um, this is I can't afford it. It's not yep, a good idea. Yep, you've got to think consciously I'm not going to get that time back or that mental <laughs> no, energy. No, not going to get that time back. So you uh, Yep, that's one of one of the examples you could use. <laughs> this, is a, this is a terrible hypothetical, but you know we've all been there. Yeah, um, yeah. And then you think about if you don't have enough energy dollars left, that you potentially don't have enough um, headspace to give to your partner or your family or you know your dog or whoever is important to you in your life. That you have to make sure that you retain enough energy to get some energy back. You know, it's like an investment. You spend energy where you can get energy back as well. Uh, and I think that's really important to to remember when you're um, trying to work out where, where your energy um, comes from. I love that. Because we've already gone quite deep dive, I think we should jump into the Humans of Purpose Plus Patreon questions, if you're cool with that. Yeah, so sure. So take a bit of a deep dive into you and Ooh, how okay. you think about uh, some of our more pressing issues. This section is exclusive to our wonderful Patreon supporter community. If you believe strongly in helping people to traverse a meaningful career and life journey, well, then we urge you to get behind the podcast and support us to make this content each and every week. In doing so, you'll have access to 20% bonus content in every episode, as well as a great range of options for both humans and now organizations too. Just hit the link in the show notes. It's fascinating. Thank you so much for answering the quick fire Patreon uh, Humans of Purpose Plus questions, in, which, in were, an hour. which were more <laughs> conversational, but it's still awesome. Yeah. yeah. And it segues really nicely into something I wanted to ask you about. And that, that sort of, I got a real sense from you telling your story that um, your father and the business and sort of your own economic circumstances and feeling a sense of moral luck about getting the scholarship to school have really sort of shaped you and your social conscience a great deal. And that sort of made you who you are. They're like mm. almost inseparable from you like it's hard to imagine a different Rachel Yang or mm. do you think you would be you today had it not been for that or could you imagine sort of a different version of yourself no I def I couldn't uh, you know I'm definitely who I am because of that experience and you know the tough times that we went through when I was growing up and you know um working when I was kind of 14, I started working at a juice bar and then was always working on the weekends. And then during um, university, kind of had three jobs and barely ever went to university. Um, and <laughs> I mean, yeah, got, I got by. You got by, yeah, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> um, it's not been fatal. Yeah. And uh, all of that experience has taught me a lot about um, hard work and how to. Um, value uh, the opportunities that you get put in front of you 
um, and taking advantage of, of those because not everyone gets those opportunities. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, I, I wouldn't be the person I am without those experiences. It's awesome. So tell me how, how are you going at impact investing group? <laughs> I always stuff that up. Is it investing or investment? Investment, investment, um, impact investment group. You should have the pretext. You could go with IIG. IIG. Yeah. I should have just yeah, gone, yeah. damn it, yeah. should have gone the acronym. <laughs> um, so I'm really lucky to have had, you know, you now, but previously yeah. Amanda Goodman and also um, Dan Madhaven, um, still ward of the show on a mm. few times. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, we have learned a lot about IIG over the years, but I'd love to know what, what are you doing now and what are you excited about that you're working on? Yeah. Uh, so I, being in the venture capital division and specifically the our first fund, the Giant Leap Fund, um, we've got 13 portfolio companies to date, um, which is super exciting. Our most recent one that we announced was in Work 180, which is a jobs board for women um, to support women in their, their careers and basically flips the model on its head so that uh, – employers can't list unless they've been approved by Work 180 mm. and the approval comes from policies um, and whether those policies support um, women. So things like flexible work, maternity leave, etc. cetera. Um, so, you know, that's been really exciting to be able to work on um, investments like that. And Gemma and Valeria, wonderful founders and just working with great people. How did you, um, what, what's it like sort of identifying a, a company like that and sort of aligning and sort of throwing in behind them? What's that process like? Uh, it's Longer than people think because it's all about relationships. So usually you'll meet someone. So we met um, Gemma at uh, our impact pitch night um, in 2017, actually, um, and then have kind of formed the relationship over that time and getting to know Gemma and Valeria um, and how amazing they are as operators and how dedicated they are to the impact that they're um, creating um, has been really wonderful to watch over that time. Um, and so I think you know, so much of it is about people, uh, and it actually takes quite a, quite a while to form strong relationships. Hundred so, percent. Yeah, I think that's really important for people to kind of to remember that it's. Um, How long does it take to game. form a good trusting relationship? Um. Obviously, that's a, that's a how long is a piece of string question. But, yeah. but I mean, for example, I've been told that in philanthropy, you can take sort of, you know, you're, you're looking at two years in mm. consulting, it's probably 18 months from first meeting to having a project in the pipeline. Yeah. I, I'd say the the typical time has probably been 12 months mm -hmm. plus. You guys are fast movers. Yeah. <laughs> no mucking around. No mucking around. What are your plans for the future? Yeah. <laughs> Do you want kids? You, exactly. No mucking around. Direct questions. <laughs> yeah, what yeah. did I tell you before, Mike? Well, practicing as you preach, right? I can't fault yeah, that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so it's, so that's kind of been something that's been uh, great to learn over, over the time that I've been with the group and also, you know, with each of the investments we've we've made, um, and what's wonderful to see is how they uh, the portfolio companies themselves kind of interact, and there's that peer support too. Um, so that's yeah, that's something that we really value a giant leap if we can help create relationships, not only you know have those direct relationships, but facilitate relationships as well. And you guys are great connectors too, which is worth mentioning. I mean, you, it's all the time. You know, back in the day, you would or still, you know, you'll email me saying, "Hey, we've got someone who's working on this. Can you have a chat to them?" Will Richardson, um, colleague of yours, is great like that. And mm. uh, I think you guys really are great at what you do because you're good with 
networks and not just the sort of end game. So who he's, you know, the company we go for. It's all those people in between in that ecosystem. Mm. Yeah, so who knows who? That's um, for us, that's really important. Mm. And uh, when I think about it, it's just, I, I, I love the connection, connecting the dots. Um, and it's something that we've thought about doing actually when um, we've just uh, announced um, funding that we've received from Launch Vic to set up an impact angel network. And the reason being um, was that we saw a lot of demand from the businesses that are quite early stage, potentially a bit early for Giant Leap, but wonderful impact businesses. And then on the other side, we have a lot of angel investors in our network that were looking for more opportunities. And we just thought, well, maybe we can start connecting the dots in a more formal way. How exciting. So so just talk to me a bit about this. From what I understand from the angel networks that exist here currently, they're all pretty much there's a dinner, you go and you pitch to a group of uh, potential angel investors and mm. that's what exists currently? Is it sort of more or less the scene or? Uh, it There are lots of different angel networks around and they operate slightly mm-hmm. differently. Um yeah, and we hope to collaborate with with all of the networks as well because our view is all boats rise. You know, there there um there are ways that we can all work together. Uh, for our network, we're thinking at the moment. So um, we've brought on board um, Damien Messina, and he he's a wonderful person that has product um, and tech experience as well as you know great at forming relationships and uh, managing stakeholders and and at the moment he's going through a process of finding out what works best great. for founders and investors so is that by way of like is this a platform a two-sided platform kind of web solution or is this a kind of you know yeah all of the different yep. components to make sure that it works for everyone mm-hmm. so there's the notion of you know, how the the businesses and the founders and the investors meet um what's the forum for that uh how do they communicate what's the pathway that's easiest and 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 founder friendly too because i think there's a always a strange dynamic with uh investors and and founders which you know i i feel is often unsaid that they're there's a weird power that comes along there's an extreme power dynamic Um, disparity yeah Um, and we're trying to figure out ways to to minimise that disparity or that feeling mm. that people have um, to be able to have more open conversations. Uh, so that's something that's been worked through at the moment to make sure that we we design it in a way that can best facilitate the outcomes we're trying to achieve. That's extremely exciting. Hey, we touched on something earlier that might be interesting to open up. Um, it looks like you focused a lot on gender equality or sort of mm. putting that gender equality, equality lens on some of the things you do, but also hopefully um, ending up at gender equality as a goal. Mm. Um how does that sort of differ from work that's being done in diversity and inclusion and sort of want to grab your general commentary on that and you've got to take? Yeah, I think the terminology around diversity and inclusion has been something that's been used a lot and then uh, people almost get desensitised to it. And I think what we're trying to think about is how do we make sure that it's meaningful and what are we doing to change the the situation when it comes to uh, women seeking funding, even the language around female founders. You know, there's been a lot of talk about that being damaging because it's talking about you know, um, you know the female being more a reference to genitals rather than um, can I say 
Jane. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we're an explicit podcast <laughs> by default, so you can say uh, anything. <laughs> um, you know, and and that in itself is um, dehumanising or, you know. And, oh, as in the, the gender specificity is an Yeah, issue? the gender specificity. Oh. Specificity. I don't even know <laughs> what I'm saying anymore. I just, you, yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's talk about women-led businesses and it, mm. there's it, we've just got to be really careful around language. Well, is um, that a bit corrosive? Because, I mean, I think this is an interesting point. I have this debate with my wife, Louise, mm. who's in this uh, Women in Cardiology network, and I do notice that on Twitter and in a lot of the online discourses, it's very um, kind of – female as a separate distinct group mm. uh, and as a kind of spearhead or point of difference. But then I wonder at what point does that become non-inclusive because if the dialogue's just sort of about one group and it's not including um, members of different sexes or genders or, um, you know, di- uh, cognitive even diversity or mm. the, the different forms of diversity, is that kind of detrimental because in maybe in a Jonathan Haidt sense we're not bringing people to the conversation who – are also people. Yeah, I, and um, it, I change my mind a lot on this depending on um, the day, I guess, because it, it's it's challenging. Yeah. And so when I think about things like if there was a men's club or a men's only gym, how I would feel about that. Mm. But then equally, you know, I want to be supportive of a um, women only gym because of the, you know, the physicality of, yeah. of working out and all of yeah. that. So um, there's there's a there's that challenge of having those those um, I guess conflicting uh, different standards, maybe. Yeah, yeah. We, we want equality, but we also have some different structural things we need to recognise. Yeah, and I think um, yeah, I, I also find it quite intriguing that discussion because whenever you hear about um, whenever someone has a go at a, at a at a men's club, the the traditional man perspective is, oh, well, you know, we're not allowed to have a men's club anymore, so why should you get a women's club? Mm. Which is really just, it's like toddlers arguing over a piece of candy or something. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I suppose there are interesting questions that we've never really had to face before as yeah. um, people and as members of society about what does it mean to be a, a gender-specific person or not? Yeah. And what does it mean to discuss that with other people who might not share your beliefs about what it means to be a gendered person or not? Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's very much about um, individual identity mm. and um, the language we use. You know, I always think language can seek to include or exclude people, mm. and so even diversity and inclusion can start to to feel like it's excluding people that are seemingly not diverse. Mm. You know, and so I've started to think about it as um, equality. You know, how how do we try and democratize access to capital make make people feel like they have equal access to the person next to them um as opposed to you know necessarily attaching gender or um race or you know any other aspect that can define an individual mm. um you know sexuality or all of those different components you could e- easily name any one of the groups um that you know you feel are minority groups or underrepresented, mm. Mm. but then you seek to exclude people as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it's challenging. It's so hard. And I, I think with, the, with sort of understanding privilege a bit more and layers of intersectional disadvantage, mm. it's, it becomes very challenging. Um, and also I, I do feel with the diversity and inclusion stuff, it is very gender-focused still. Like mm. we haven't kind of reached those other layers of um, – 
if you talk to people who are people with disabilities or mm. um, people of um, with with cognitive impairment, they they are not happy with the fact that the diversity discussion is sort of very gender limited. Mm. Like mm. Bo- boards are not talking about having more cognitively impaired people sitting on them. Yeah, uh, they're not talking about having um, you know people with disabilities as much on boards, and mm. it's sort of just interesting that we. I wonder maybe in a few years' time that'll be the focus. Yeah. Or whether this sort of now is the flavour of we're just focusing on this lens and then we'll shift to another lens mm. or whether this is something we really have to work out over a long time period. Yeah, and I think that's why you know, when you think about equality, it can help try and reduce that staging that we seem to be kind of um, moving towards. Uh, you know, you kind of focus on a group at a time, whereas if we think about just – you know, people being people, um, and how do we ensure that there there's generally an acceptance of whatever shape, form, um, color you know, that that you come in that 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 is um, that should be accepted by the people around you. I mean, the best thing that I've seen about equality, why it's maybe a useful tool for this conversation, is the um, that uh, four hundred meter track picture that was sort of in the paper. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't seen. So all the runners basically start at different points, and it's just sort of recognizing that that's structural inequality because we don't all start at the same level of um, ability or privilege in life. So so the opposite would be, you know, everyone, like people think that everyone starts at the same exact position on the track and that's just not the case. It's, it's you know, you know, lane one, lane two, lane three and handicaps all across. So we're mm. all different layers of where we start and maybe um, I think in society I noticed that maybe there's not as much awareness of that, the, mm. the fact that people really do come from very disadvantaged backgrounds and it, it's not – Treating people differently, it's it's valuing from for what they valuing them for what they bring to the the greater pool of humanity. You know mm. what they bring to work and what they bring to um, civic life. Mm. Yeah, and I think that um, there's a video that is similar. I think from um, what you're talking about the the picture where uh, a coach asks people to step forward based on oh i've seen that one yeah great video really great um and it's eye-opening i think for the just describe it because i I cut you off there no that's okay so uh it effectively gets everyone to start um at the one spot um and i think they're running for a hundred dollars or something like that i can't i can't remember exactly but the coach then says you know um step forward if your parents are still together and step forward if, you know, um, you knew where your dinner was coming from, you know, things like that. And then the people that were left behind, um, it was really stark to show kind of it was divided by race. Yeah, it was um, very African-American. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was It was definitely confronting. Mm. It, it's, it's like – and maybe this is one of the things with just telling the story better of what it means to have structural disadvantage. Yeah. And inequality, like that racetrack image, the video. I feel like when we say these words over and over, and you alluded to it before, we it's like, you know, we, we just water them down to they don't mean anything. Mm. You know, in most workplaces now, I feel like if you say diversity, um, it's just kind of, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah. Like it's just been said so much that it is losing its value. Mm. And maybe the shift to equality will, you know, re, reinvigorate that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I I hope so, um, and I hope there's more a discussion around the fact that we're just all 
you know, human beings on this world trying to trying to live our lives and you know yeah. get get by every day yeah. and that that maybe means- that's a starting point though you know like the, the common the common humanity is what's important you know like mm-hmm. um people are humans we are all humans um so just start there yeah you know, like a, a common charter for humanity maybe that's what's needed yeah, or something. yeah. it probably that exists we're, just, uh, we're at the point of the podcast where i just make things up that clearly <laughs> exist already and they're going quite well so <laughs> but I, I i like the idea you know how do we keep um in at, in the, at the front of our minds mm. that we're all humans so this is all very exciting. We should mention as well the startup pitch night that's coming up. Um, is that in a couple of weeks' time? Yeah, the twenty fourth of September mm-hmm. at the Good Shed. Uh, it's the Startup Victoria and Giant Leap Fund Impact Pitch Night, and uh, our wonderful Mike Davis is emceeing the evening. Love that guy. I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and and the, the lovely Judy Anderson, previous podcast guest, is your collaborator in that project? Yes, she yep. is. She's wonderful. Startup um, Vic. And she's, yeah, a great, great collaborator and great for the ecosystem and really supportive of startups. So applications are open now. Um, and, yeah, we'll get four startups to pitch. There are um, There's a great prize package. Mm-hmm. And What do they get if they win that? Uh there's a very long list of things. Okay. Um, so um, but should we things, maybe at the end we'll direct them to a website. Yes. But are the applications open now? Are yes, they they're they're open right. now. Um so one example is uh classes with Academy XI. Mm-hmm. Um there's you know office hours with Giant Leap, there's um consulting from in terms of legal, etc. as well. So there's lots of things that startups need. Um that are part of that prize package. So we'll definitely share the link. And what kind of startups are you looking for in this pitch night? So the way we think about impact is impact embedded in the business model. So um, ensuring that the focus of the business is about generating positive social or environmental impact, but also that's a commercial scalable business. So we're looking for – businesses similar to those that are in in our portfolio but really early stage uh, that blend um, that commercial aspect with the impact. So the themes that we have, Giant Leap, um, and a a useful framing for for the pitch night are health and wellbeing, sustainable living and empowering people. Mm -hmm. Uh, So businesses that sit underneath those themes and that are really solving social environmental problems um, sustainably. I mean, why don't I just ask you, what do you think is the most intractable social problem that we that you're thinking about at the moment um, that is out there that you kind of, you know, just say you, you weren't doing what you do right now and mm. you wanted to start something, what would you be locking down on that is, is of um, interest? So education is, is something that's really important to me, uh, as I've you know, probably alluded to throughout the, the podcast. Uh, ways of helping um, democratise access to education or to uh, provide access to specific types of education that will help in the future. So that's a bit um, cryptic, but the way that I think about it is today um, there are going to be a whole lot of jobs that we don't know about in future. We think about today as just your standard jobs, but automation will really take over a lot of 
opportunities. So how do we upskill our workers and children um, and, you know, the people in our community to make sure that they don't get left behind? Mm -hmm. Uh, that's something that I think about a lot. I think about it too. And I think I'm kind of quite interested in the, the move back to more generalized skill sets as well. Like, um, and actually some of the stuff that TESOL does, which I think is very interesting, like around, you know, how to have a good conversation, yeah. how to manage a relationship. I always say on the podcast, you know, a class that everyone should take that's mandatory before you finish school. Um, it may not even exist then, but, you know, in the next few years, but how to write a good email. Like yeah. no one no one writes good emails. Yeah. <laughs> like we do, obviously. We're, we're great at emailing each other and other people. But, yeah. you know, m- most people um, I find have very poor email and LinkedIn etiquette. Yeah. Like just how to craft a succinct, nice message, explain what you want and be direct in your question. Yeah. You know, yeah. don't waffle. Yeah. And, and that's definitely something I feel like is missing in schools, especially financial literacy as well. Mm. So how do you live life and communicate, but also how do you get by day to day? You know, those, those things are missing. You know, financial literacy is not a given. It's what um, about how do you cope at work or like, how do you kind of, you know, progress well at work? I mean, these would be some of these more general kind of things that seem like they're life hacks or just read about it online. Mm. I think they are essential things that we're probably not putting enough time into because these are areas that have become really complex. Yeah. Yeah, they've definitely become much more complex in the world we live in, Mm. yeah. Okay, Um, I do want to wrap this up and I want to thank you very much for your time. How can we direct people to learn more about the the Impact Pitch Night? Uh, So Startup Victoria uh, has both a newsletter and website that you can jump on, also giantleapfund.vc. Well, that's our website to find out more about the Giant Leap Fund um, and the news that's happening today. We've also got our... Um, Twitter and my personal Twitter, which is Rachel Yang underscore. Um, and yeah, just on, on our socials, uh, keep an eye out. And how are you mainly on, is that your main presence, Twitter, or do you have other platforms you like to associate on? Twitter and LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I think are the main ones that, that, that I personally use, mm-hmm. but also the organization impact investment group you know, is on, on LinkedIn and, right. and giant leap funds on Twitter quite a lot. And same with impact investment group and also the individuals within impact investment group. A lot of them on, are on Twitter um, as well. So yeah, uh, check us out. Check us out. And make sure if you are writing to Rachel, make it an awesome message. Like, we've, we've now covered <laughs> Ask that. me a direct question. Be direct. <laughs> uh, you, you, you have to take in all the advice that we've given in this podcast. And if you don't take some of it in, she may not respond. So, <laughs> you know, you've got to be clued in with this one. Thank you so much for joining me and having multiple beverages with me. Thanks so much for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word of mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com.